But to make it not sound selfish, I would add that um, dealing with yourself in this very authentic way, figuring out who you are and, and what's the best way to live for you, if you extend that to the other people around you, the people in your family, your children, if you have them, your, your team members, and even your clients, now it suddenly is about inspiring everybody and helping everybody because as an entrepreneur as a team leader you can help other people to figure that out about themselves mm -hmm. and now you help them build their place in your team or outside of your team um to to become the best version of themselves too welcome to the innovative founder the show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd. Hello, founders. Hello, Welcome everybody. back to the Innovative Founder Show. Thank you so much for listening each and every week, and we love bringing Thanks, these Mom. guests to you. Yes. Yes. Brandon, can you get uh, can you get reception for the Innovative Founder Show up in northern Wisconsin? I can. I get two yeah. bars. Yeah. Two uh, bars. I get a couple bars up there. Uh, I spent um, last week up there with a longtime friend of mine, and uh, we opened up the cabin. It's very rustic remote. And um, it was in the 50s and 40s at night, and we uh, – we, we laughed because we had within a within a week's time we have we smoked more cigars drank more bourbon ate more meat than we do probably in a all year or two years actually uh it was, it was a go out it was a guy's trip we were opening up and it was just a good time lots of good conversation lots of naps uh lots of you know we had to patch the canoe that was leaking we rearranged the shed um, it's quite a unique property. You got to get to it by boat. There's no electrical power. You got to run a generator and you got an outhouse. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it's a good time. It's a really unique experience. Um, the highlight was we, uh, we got there when the turtles were laying their eggs. Oh. So we're sitting on the deck and we're watching these turtles and we're feeding them and talking to them and they're coming up uh, painted turtles and they're, they're, they're laying their eggs. They're digging and laying eggs, and and uh, quite fun to see that, and just to be cool. present to that. So typically, yeah. you always have some sort of insight when you visit the uh, the cabin. <laughs> any any like ahas or insights that you'd be um, willing to share with the audience? The the insight is it's funny. So you and I have talked about you know our growth and the ahas and over the last few years. And this, I, you plan an idea about the idea of being feral and I, you know, grow my parents, they built this cabin and, uh, I've been going there since I was four. And while they were building the cabin, I was just kind of allowed, I mean, I, I had to occupy myself. So when I was fishing, I was alone in boats, fishing, catching fish, skinning fish, eating, cooking. It was a lot of time just in the wilderness, very remote without seeing people uh, a lot. And it gets, there's something, I don't know if it's just me, but there's something about being so connected in an energetic nature space that is so healing. And it's so, God, it kind of connects down to your core. Um, and, you know, we can't spend enough time in nature. I think a lot of time, I think the privilege that I had was, is this area is so remote. It there wasn't a lot of tourists. It, it, there was no, it barely saw people and it, it, it didn't have the amenities. And so you had, you know, while my parents were building cabin, a lot of it was me trying to figure out again, occupying myself and curiosities and discovering and, and, and uh being completely immersed in it um 
I also notice I've been noticing this from going there since I was young is that um, when you're in a space like that, I don't know what it is about our places on the earth, but I, I sleep better than I sleep anywhere, any other time. It's like being in a womb, you know, we're on futons and, and, you know, but it's some of the deepest sleep I've ever experienced. And I think it's very healing. Um, I also noticed that the brain chatter is so much less there. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me, you know, ask like, wow, what's really going on with, you know, the different types of technology that we have always around us in cities or, 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 or occupied areas. Um, it real there's a huge contrast. It wasn't subtle. It was huge. The difference between the energetic feeling up of a place versus being in a city surrounded by electricity and internet and you know Wi-Fi and cell towers and all that, it really you really notice it. And so the insight is just again, if you when and if you are drawn to these types of places, go. These energetic places are important for human beings, I think, to reconnect to uh, on a on a primal primal level. And these places will be different for everybody, of course. Absolutely. You know, you know yeah, like Perry's but, place is Ireland, one of our one of our clients and friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, um, I. So yeah, I've been I've been pushing you and. Now, now we've got a public forum. Like, I, I think this is one of the things that you need to continue to explore and also share with people. Um, when when you mentioned the word feral in a roundtable meeting, it was the only word that got people to stop talking and to sit back in their chair and go, "Whoa!" Hmm. You know, your your response to the question of why did you become an entrepreneur was you said it was the only way that you could figure out to remain feral. Um, and it's such a visual word. Um, you know, you're like uh jungle boy in the jungle book, like, uh, uh Mowgli, 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 right. Just kind yeah. of walking around without a shirt on, but, um, <laughs> look, it, it's kind of who you are and you know, what, what you and I are spending a lot of time talking about, um, is truly living authentically is living out from who you really are. And so for you, your experience on this planet has been about being feral. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every time you get to be feral and reconnect with the, the place where you learn to be feral, it's a spiritual and sacred experience for you, which is why you go every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fact that, you know, you found out that your dad built that for you, right? Yeah. Your dad actually yeah. prepared that place for you as much as for himself, if not as for you and for your siblings. So um yeah i mean we really want to encourage people to live authentically out of who they are and it ties right in with our guest today uh tom tom sharp mm-hmm. spends a lot of time in this interview talking about how you can eliminate a lot of frustration in your life and in your team's life by just understanding how you're wired and and how you can work most efficiently what you're good at and probably more importantly what you're not good at and what you don't like to do so many of us are involved in tasks that we shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. but we do them out of some sort of duty or i don't know sacrifice to the hard work god i don't know yeah but i mean the more we live and the less time we have left we we we're, we're kind of like hey man what why why would i spend my time doing this when i could be doing this yeah you know yeah um so yeah i'm glad you had a great week um i think i only bothered you once and it took you two days to respond to that so fantastic <laughs> good job disconnecting from from the planet so, yeah we're yeah. really excited to uh share our guest today uh um, somebody I met many, many years ago, and he's he's really evolving, and you're going to really enjoy this interview. His uh, name is Tom Sharp, and we're glad to bring to him to you right now. So, Tom, tell us a little bit about um, what's going on with you right now. What are you excited about in business, in life, personal? Doesn't matter. What what, what are you into right now? What excites you? I'm uh, in Orlando right now. 
I love traveling. I'm uh, right now. I'm what somebody called a. Yesterday, I was called a permanent traveler, and uh, that sounds better than a dig digital nomad in my mind. I don't know ah. why, but um, I'm a permanent traveler, and I love to travel. And um, well, it's pretty cloudy here which I didn't expect for Orlando, but it's uh, the stormy season is, is coming this way. So I'm, I yeah. may need to, to travel a bit more and find, I, I love the sunshine. I love it when it's like 90 degrees and it's pretty hot outside and, oh. and humid. And I don't mind. I, I can be on the beach in Costa Rica, enjoy an 80 megabit up and download um, and uh, connection and, and just do my work. I don't mind. Love it. I'd love to talk about that, Brandon. Wouldn't you? Like so many Absolutely. people like talk about this and say they would love to do it. Um, Tom, you're actually doing it. Tell it, tell us what it's like. So describe the life of a permanent traveler and you know, maybe share some of the coolest places you've been and actually worked where you're integrating life and work, and there's like kind of this blurred line. Yeah, I actually I'm the guy who has three mobile phones. I don't know if you know that about me, but there's one, two, and three. And that's because I want to separate out everything in my life. Ah, so, interesting. So I have a, um, let, let's explain it like this. This is my mobile phone. And this is the phone where everybody has my phone number. Like my team, my clients, uh, my family, everybody had this number. And yeah. I realized that I needed to separate out my work life from my home life a bit mm. a bit more okay. which is which is where i renamed this one to call it my business phone okay and i bought another one and i just shared the new phone number of this new phone with my family and my friends and one person in my team so when i am home and or in the weekends i turn off my business phone and some of my clients, I tell all my clients to do the same, but some of them, they have to switch it off and hand it in to their significant other ah. <laughs> <laughs> or put it in a safe in the office and then drive home. But I can manage. I, this one, the, my business phone is in my backpack most of the time. And then I use this phone for like in my personal life, friends, family, WhatsApp, uh, TikTok. Instagram, everything that I enjoy in my personal life. Then I realized when a friend of me explained that to me, that this phone is still taking quite a bit of attention. <laughs> I don't know if you realize, but if you're in the line in the supermarket or somewhere else, or you're sitting on the couch, you're a little bored. Instead of just looking out of the window and being recharged and rejuvenated a little bit by just being offline for a while, um, it's way too easy to grab your phone out of your trousers uh, and to, I don't know, what can I do on this phone? Everything, the whole world is here. So he encouraged me to buy my third phone, which is a, a, a tiny SE in my uh, life. And there's no social media here. Mm -hmm. I can play music, Spotify, I can use Google Maps. And for me, really important, I take notes on this phone. Mm -hmm. I have an app called Capsio which I can jot down any thought that pops up in my mind and it will email it to me so I can process that information later when I'm checking my email. But other than that, um, my near, uh, uh, my close family can reach me on this phone and that's about it. So this is the one that I carry around all the time. Okay. Because I'm actually very much into separating out business and personal life. Mm. Let's talk about that a little bit if we can, because sure. I think those those lines that, you know, there's the days of the, what is it, the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, 70s, 80s. where dad's bringing home a briefcase, right. and there was briefcases, we carried briefcases around and there was suits and ties and you left the briefcase at the door or maybe you didn't. Um, those lines and edges have been so blurred now with our connectivity, True. you know. Uh, you know, I was just recently, at, I have a remote cabin in Northern Wisconsin. I was at last week and, uh, still difficult to put that phone down, leave it. It's, 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 it's some, you know, checking, 
checking, oh, do I have a new notification? Does somebody need me? Does somebody want me? You know, there's, there's somebody need my attention. It's like, man, you got to cut this out. This is, this is not a, True. so there's this idea as I think we're on call, or at least I'll speak for myself. There's this yes. idea of I'm being on call. Like you don't have to be on call though. Everything's going to be okay. You can, you can take some time off. You can, you can withdraw from that. I also really loved your, um, your perspective on permanent traveler. I, I bought a domain years ago. Um, I, I want to be on a permanent working vacation. That's where I want my life to be a permanent yeah. working vacation. Yes. Uh, I, no problem working. I have no problem vacationing and I I'm okay with those things blending because when I get to go and travel, it energizes me to want to do more creative work. Yes. That so, makes sense. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about that, that journey for you. In, in, in making these separations, did it start from a place of everything was coming through the one phone? And what, what, when did you decide to compartmentalize and how has that changed for you? How has that shifted your, your perspective and your, your workflow? I think for me, a really important thing is realizing that I'm a pretty creative person. And the problem with creative persons is that their brains are always connecting stuff to each other, making associations, yep. right? Yep. So, yep. So as soon as I, I don't know, I pick up my phone to send a WhatsApp message to one of my children and on the home screen, I see a notification that one of my clients has sent me a question and I can read the first three or four or five words, but, but it's Saturday or Sunday or Friday night or Tuesday night. Suddenly this client is in my mind. These first three words, they conjure up a whole uh like a whole novel of problems that might be going on or a whole story of things that i can help them with or where they might be complaining about something or something is off right or or not but i mean instead of being there with myself and my family and and trying to send a message to one of my children i'm suddenly back into my business mm -hmm. yep Yep. And I realized that that is really, really not healthy for me. Okay. So I don't mind working. I would not even mind to have a question asked on Saturday that I can just give an answer and then I can log off and it's gone from my mind. But it, my brain just doesn't work that way. Mm. And I gotcha. think for me, what, what was the big, the huge difference is a book by Alex Pang. <clears throat> It's called REST, R-E-S-D, and he argues from a scientific research perspective that people who are always on or people who, are work, who work too many hours a day are way less effective than people that force themselves to do their work in four to five hours a day and then just sign off and are gone. And I thought it was really persuasive when he started talking about scientists, because for most people that have a job in this day and age, it's really hard to measure what we are doing, right? Yeah. I mm. mean, if somebody writes 100 emails every day, is he more or less effective than somebody who writes 15 emails every day? Nobody knows. Sure. So it's really hard to measure. But for scientists, they have this standard where if you are being cited, if one of your papers is being cited by other scientists, we can see that as a vote. So now okay. we can kind of figure out that if somebody has breakthrough scientific um, discoveries, this person will probably be cited a lot by other people in his or her area of expertise. Where if you have superficial kind of discoveries, nobody really cares. Hmm. And what uh, Peng describes in his book is that they found that scientists that force themselves to work 40 to 60 hours a week are the least effective people in getting these really breakthrough scientific results. Mm. The least. So the, the more hours you put in, the less effective you were on the long term. And I figured that if that's true for scientists who use their brains to work, it must be true for entrepreneurs as well and for other leaders for that matter. 
I really appreciate that. And and there's been a running joke for years between Bob and I, and and is is this this Protestant work ethic mm. that he and I both kind of struggle with that, you know, more is better, you know, and we think we see that everywhere. And I've, I'm recently, I lift weights and I've been kind of studying this one weightlifters approach. He was in the seventies and he's talking about, you know, how most bodybuilders were in the gym and they're in the gym for hours and they're, yes. they're hitting certain muscle groups two, three times a week. And the more is more approach. And he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he said that you can be in and out of the gym in 20 minutes lifting weights and you should, you need at least a week, maybe two weeks to recover. Wow! It's the intensity you put into that 20 minutes, 30 minutes yes. of that muscle group. And, and the point was you lift to failure. You go to that yep. point where your muscles are absolutely taxed, where you cannot lift the weight anymore. And that is the point that Herculean effort you know, in 30 seconds to a minute is going to do more for you than thinking you're going to spend more time in the gym. And it's, it's this strange, not strange, but, but, but it's an evolving mindset of more is better. Well, more, more hours to work is better. And what we're finding, it's not true. And it's the same thing with the human body, more, more working out. It must be better. No, it actually puts you in reverse. It actually, you will, you will do more damage. You will do more harm to your body long-term you know, and, and if more was better, you'd see guys walking around ginormous and exactly. huge muscles. It's like, no, no, actually the muscle is built on the recovery. So I, I, I see the same approach now, which you're, what we're talking about here with work. And so and, as, as a sidebar, I don't know if you know the X3 bar, x3bar.com, this guy, I forgot his name, but he wrote a whole book about training. And if you look at him, his physique, he yeah. has huge muscles and yeah. For me, what what I learned from him is that the technique makes a ton of difference, and that's basically with everything, right? Yeah, sure. So, so what we tend to forget, in my opinion, is that thinking. If what you are doing is thinking, so let's first define that. I feel that as an entrepreneur, as a leader, but let's talk about entrepreneurs. What what are you trying to do? Yeah. Well, if it's hustling, then you're probably spending a ton of hours on doing low value stuff yep. that anybody could do. So the real value of an entrepreneur is take something that is cheap, add some value and sell it for more money, basically. Mm -hmm. Buy, buy mm -hmm. cheap and sell mm -hmm. expensive. I don't know what the word is, but that's yeah. the concept. But that's you it. need your brain to do that. You need your mind, you need your thinking to do that. The problem with the thinking is that it's much more than just having thoughts go through your mind. I, I mean, I sometimes have these, the situation where I feel like my, my brain is like a huge empty church and there are thoughts bouncing back and bouncing forth. Bouncing off the, the wood <laughs> and the brick yeah. and the stone. That's not yeah. really thinking. Yeah. So, so, but the real thinking work actually is really intense. So I spend, um, one season writing comedy for national television mm. for, for a national comedian. And he had a late night television show. And I think that that for me, that was the most intellectual, intellectual, like exhausting work that I have ever done. Mm. That's where, like when you train to, to failure with your biceps, you can train to failure or you can think through to failure using your brain, ah. and, but your brain is a part of your biological body mm -hmm. and it actually uses a ton of energy yeah yeah so it yes. makes sense that if uh, if you've done four or five hours of hard thinking then your brain is tired and anything else you can do after that point just makes you more worn out yeah you can write a couple of letters or you can read the notes of a meeting or i don't care but like if you try to force yourself to do six or seven or eight hours of really productive thinking work you will find after a week or so that that it's just not happening and that seems to be the, just like being intoxicated when you drink too much alcohol you don't realize it mm. and we notice from sleep research where if people have get six hours or five hours or four hours of sleep a night you can measure that their performance is uh going down dramatically yeah but they don't know 
And I feel that for me, that's what Alex Pang describes in Rest. And that I kind of knew the ideas, like um, working so many hours is not really making me much more effective or creative. I'm not enjoying my life more. My business is not running better. But mm -hmm. he gave me the scientific evidence where I was just going to say, hey, you got to stop doing this hustling, man. It, mm. In the long term, it's really ineffective. Mm. Did you did you hit a point? Was there was there a point in time, Tom, where it was like, I, I got to make a change? Was was there a, an individual event, a series of events? Like no, what, what prompted you to go down this rabbit hole? No, I'm sorry. That would have been a great story for my uh, signature <laughs> story to convince people to work with me. But no, I <laughs> I don't have such an event. I've okay. never been in a burnout or uh anything like that fortunately not but i was training people in time and stress management i was doing a lot of the life hacking stuff i was thinking about how can you process your email in half the time i was yeah. doing all these practical tips and tricks things so it was already on my mind okay so it was it was just it was a desire it's funny there's a quote i heard years ago that still resonates with me and it said innovation is i'm going to butcher it but it was innovation is not caused by people wanting to create better greater things necessarily it's innovation is caused by lazy people wanting to work less and figuring out how to move the fulcrum and that's a complete butcher but you get the gist of it i, I totally and i thought you. oh that is it's true it's true there's you this german general more time you know, and, and a big question, you know, is is this idea, and, and Bob's going to laugh because this is kind of the way I operate is in, in, in coaching I've received is, oh, let's make this harder. Let's make this work longer. How much can I, how much can I work? There's some ego involved here with how much can I take and how much can I do? And that game gets tiring and it gets exhausting. And, you know, as the older we get, it's like, why am I still playing this game? What What, what is the point here? So I, I so it sounds like that you were on a similar path where you're trying to figure out, okay, I can do that. I can I know I can do the forty hour, sixty hour, whatever hour week. You know you can do that. You've done that for some degree. But but how do we move this fulcrum over more and more? And how far can we move this fulcrum so I can be on exactly. my working vacation? So it sounds like it's been a series, not necessarily one particular story, but a series of stories and discoveries. True. For me, that's true. Yes, and I feel that. Um, when you start to realize that the output of what you, of your work is not correlated to the amount of time that you invest in creating that amount of work, that's like a huge difference. Yes. Yeah. I also feel that most entrepreneurs and most leaders in general, we have become entrepreneurs because we had a ton of success. Like many entrepreneurs, they started out as being an employee somewhere a technician, a, a consultant, and they they have a measure of success and then they decide to start for themselves, right? Why do you have this early experience of being successful? Well, it's compared to your peers, the other people that are working in the same team. And if you are working harder, more hours, are more dedicated, more passionate, then you will get success. So basically, you're you train your own brain to understand that you will be successful if you put in more work. Which also means that any problem that you encounter, you have already trained your dopamine system to respond with, I got to work harder because that's my go-to way to fix any problem. Mm -hmm. And it takes, mm -hmm. a, it takes a pretty big epiphany or like growing awareness that that's completely self-defeating mm -hmm. hey founders want to just connect you with our guest today tom sharp you could follow him on twitter it's at tom sharp says and sharp is spelled s-h-a-r-p no e at the end so at tom sharp says uh, you can also find uh, his musings at tom sharp blog tom sharp blog now back to the show you're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rignaris and Brandon Boyd. Can I throw one more idea? And I'm, I'm, I know I'm talking sure. a lot, Bob. I'm going to let you. But so another thing that we've seen come up 
in the entrepreneur world, you know, it's because the entrepreneur world operates on more is better, more revenue, more growth, 10x, all these, all these freaking terms that get thrown out there. And then we hear plenty of stories of entrepreneurs that used to run companies with 20, 30, 40 plus employees. And the happiest day when they went through their shift and their transition was the happiest day for them was slicing all of that out and now operating with one or two employees. They're making more money personally. They're happier. Uh, they're enabled to enjoy their travels, life, whatever. I think there's some lesson in there. And I'm not saying all companies need to operate that way. Of course, we need different, all different types of companies. But I think it's interesting that if you remove this, this obligation to more is better, more hours is better, more money is better, more employees, more and more growth is better. Um, we find that there as well. Would you agree? Any thoughts on that? I think it's interesting that you, on the one hand, you say like, we should get rid of the more, more, more paradigm. But then you kind of position this change that many people have made. And you say, well, they have less employees, but they are making more money. Mm -hmm. They have more free time, which right. makes me think you're still in the more, more, more paradigm. Fair, fair. Yes. Fair. Right? Good point. So Good in point. my mind, the thing that's going on there most of the time is that, and this is a really, really fundamental um, part of anything I do, is we start with profile. And profile is my word to describe somebody's personality, experiences, passion, what have you, like, like education. There's all kinds of components to your profile, but Bob has a profile. You, Brandon, have a profile. I have a profile. And when we figure out what our profile is, that tells us a whole lot about the kind of work that we are designed to be doing. It's yeah. like a chair. A chair is different. It looks different from a table. And you already, from uh, how it's different, you can kind of understand that their function is different. So in my mind, when entrepreneurs, especially innovating entrepreneurs, they start feeling a ton better when they, get, when they shrink their team, it kind of tells me that these people hate managing, mm. <laughs> which is exactly what I am. I, I hate managing. So I should make sure that I function in a situation where I don't have to do any managing. Okay. But that does not mean that everybody is the same like me. Yeah. So, yeah. so I know people, they are really great managers, but their profile is wired to, to enjoy doing the managing. So one of my best clients right now, he um, runs a SaaS company. And um, he's a visionary. He doesn't have a ton of structure in his life or in his business for that matter. He is really easy, easily fired up about new ideas because he is this innovator kind of person. But he has a managing director that's working for him since this year. And this person is very much a manager. Mm. He enjoys clarifying things, setting structures in place, really enjoy spending time with people. It's, it's like a whole different profile, a whole different personality. Yeah. So Brendan, I would think that most of the entrepreneurs that are that become really happy when they, they lose their team, that it's not just that smaller is better, it's, it's mainly their role didn't fit their profile. Mm. Okay. And it's not sure. easy to hire a great COO or a great managing director because that's another thing that innovating entrepreneurs really often get wrong. Like we feel, oh, the, the, the company has grown it's, and there's too many troubles. Everybody needs my time. I really hate this. I'm bored with it. I'll hire an, an, a COO and or a second in command. Maybe I need to hire a CEO to run the business and they will solve all the problems for me. Well, that doesn't turn out really well most of the time because we we just don't understand the challenge for this new new person we don't know who we need to find we oh man i've seen so many huge messes in making that transition however if it works well like it did for this client that i just told you about if you can find a managing director that takes over the team 
the running of the company, the day-to-day -day business, oh man, then you can, as an innovating entrepreneur, you can grow your business to any scale, basically, because you are doing what fits your profile. Mm. So part of that, Does that has make to sense? be, yes, completely. Part of that, Tom, has to be a discovery where you understand who you are, yes, and what your profile is. So talk us through how how we can discover that and make sure that we're putting ourselves and and people in the right places. So what we do with our clients, entrepreneurs that we work with, is mostly we we have them do a couple of personality tests to start okay. with, and I find that most people really hate these tests because they don't want you to be put into a box. Yeah. So we joke with them and we say, well, you know what? You do five tests at the same time, maybe the Colby test, uh, MBTI, Belbin, one or two more, um, like Marketing DNA by Perry Marshall. And yeah. uh, you, you do a couple of these tests. And instead of being boxed into one box, we have now boxed you into five boxes. So <laughs> nobody cares anymore anyway. It, it's a multi-room condo. Exactly. <laughs> it is. Who yeah. doesn't want that? Yeah, right, so, right. So, but the beauty of these tests for me is that they give you some language to talk about yourself. I don't necessarily uh, care if if somebody is a seven or an eight quick start. I, what I enjoy is that they get to know the term quick start from the yeah. Colby test. Yeah. Or okay. when when the marketing DNA test of Perry talks about being an alchemist, most people that have taken that test have never thought about the concept of being an alchemist. Mm -hmm. But now suddenly they have this word alchemist or on the other side is producer. Now we can start talking about, are you a producer or are you more of an alchemist? And it doesn't, like the box is not important to me, but like talking about these ways of thinking about who you are. And I find that especially the Colby test makes a ton of sense to, to take for basically everybody. Also, if you hire new people for your team, if you want to work better with your current team, I, uh, uh, Colby is number one for us. And, and then we invite people to start thinking about a couple more things. Like if your life would be ideal, what would it look like? Yeah. Just write down 30 statements, maybe sort them a bit. I think that's from the passion test. Um, what are your top 10 things that you are doing in your job right now or in your role that you really enjoy doing that you'd love to spend more time on? The top 10 list. But then let's do the other side as well. What are the 10 things that you really hate doing and that mm. you would love to get rid of ASAP? Yeah. And if you have a team, you can now, after people write down their top 10 and their, their minus 10 or their bottom 10 list, you can now have them exchange tasks. Like, I really hate doing internet research, said one of my employees at the time. Uh, but she loved doing bookkeeping. Oh, my goodness. I would never have guessed that. But sure. she had a colleague in the same team who said, oh, I'd love to do the internet research from you. And somebody else said, I have some more bookkeeping that I'd love to get rid of. So they just reshuffled their tasks. But you can do that for yourself as well. Yeah. And so there's yeah. a couple of different ways. It always starts with questions, right? Even a personality test is like a series of questions. So you ask yourself a couple of questions about who you are. And then you figure out like, I'm not really an entrepreneur, like me, myself, I'm not really an entrepreneur. I'm more of an innovator. Mm. Well, that changes a whole lot in, in my thinking about how I should structure my businesses. Mm. So sorry, go ahead, Bob. Tell me, tell me, Tom, Tom, how like, this is, this is really great stuff. How, how did you get interested in this? Is this is this your background or is this something you just said, hey, like I, I've just gone down the rabbit hole with this myself yeah. and, I, and I want to bring this to others. What what What's your journey to get to this point where you've, you've kind of like settled in to be an expert, uh, helping team members get along and entrepreneurs be a little bit happier in their roles? Yeah, I'm like, my, my aim is a little bit higher. I want them to be thoroughly happy in their roles, but- All right. I, I, yeah, I get your question. So- I'm the guy who jumps into the deep end of the pool, thinking that everybody, everything will be all right. We'll figure it out. 
Okay. Then I start thinking and I realize, oh man, what did I do to myself? Now I really have to figure this out. Okay. So I did a quite a bit of leadership in nonprofit situations. And then I started my first company that really started doing well. And I needed to actually build a team around myself. And I found that that was like a whole different animal. If people are working for you in, if, if it's their job, that's an entirely different situation than just being in scouting or in the church or organizing a party somewhere. So I really sucked at being a good leader for my people, hmm. which makes sense because I'm an innovator and I hate management. But um, in my, my in my first business, my little sister worked for me. I think she held on for three months before she ran away with her tail behind her legs. Like, the, oh man, um, I still feel sorry for her. But she told me that she learned a whole lot from that from those three months. I was really bad as a leader, and okay. then I started a new company, and I realized I need to figure out how to do this because otherwise, there's no growth here. I cannot okay. do everything by myself. I don't want to do. There's a ton of things that I really don't enjoy doing, but that I realize are really necessary uh, that they are done, like bookkeeping or customer support or what have you. Sales. I'm really bad at sales, but but we need to sell. And so that I kind of pieced it all together. I do a lot of reading. I became a member of Perry Marshall's Roundtable, where we met Bob. Yeah. And I learned a ton from him, but also from the other entrepreneurs in the room where we share stories and we give each other advice. I love that whole masterminding uh, vibe. And I think by watching other entrepreneurs run their businesses, I've learned so much. But I guess that Colby was for me, no, I think the Belbin test of Professor Meredith Belbin. That okay. was probably my first encounter with a personality test where I felt this is really valuable in building a team and building a business. Uh, Tom, you asked you, how I you, got well, into teaching. Tom, it's just, it's just funny. Um, people that know Perry Marshall and know the people, you perfectly fit the profile of a Perry Marshall Planet Perry member. Um, they're all philosophers. They're all deep thinkers. They have this engineering concept where they want to like figure out how things work, um, including themselves and others. So like, uh, just a perfect representation. Like, thank you. I'll take that as a huge compliment. Right? Like, from you both. We we tend to find each other, right? And, True. And fortunately, Perry has built a planet that people can live on. So, um, so it, it's just again, it was this. It sounds to me like it was just an insatiable passion of yours to figure out why am I not a good manager and what's making me tick, so that I don't uh, have family members and friends running away in horror after working with me for three months. Is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, so I, I really love to optimize stuff and, and I love to get to the bottom of problems. So yep. earlier in our conversation, Brandon once mentioned, like I enjoy the cause and effect relationship of marketing. Mm -hmm. I That's a huge concept for me as well, like cause and effect. I don't know if you guys know Eli Goldrod. He has this whole idea about figuring out what is the root cause analysis of problems that you run into. So mm. we use that a lot in working with our clients. And getting to the bottom of stuff and figuring out like, I don't necessarily just want the life hack to solve this. I, I really enjoy life hacks. So if, if I can share you how to process your email a little bit faster by just adding two buttons to your command bar in Outlook, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. Okay. But if your overload of emails is due to the fact that your project management isn't set up correctly or that your team all reports to you or that you don't know who you are, what your profile is, and so you set up everything in a way that should work, but it doesn't work for you, I find that much more fascinating. Hmm. That, so that's the true. next level. It's, it's the, deeper, the deeper root cause. Yeah, that makes sense in my mind to, 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 if the problem is big enough to figure out what's, what are the underlying causes and let's solve them. Because if you solve an underlying bottleneck, an underlying cause, you solve 10 problems at the same time, instead of just tackling them problem by problem. Oh, but Tom, it takes courage and honesty to go to those places. And it's much easier <laughs> to buy a hack 
and sell a hack to basically True. smooth over a, a problem that that is just annoying you. So, I mean that that's the, that's that's the big deal here, which is the the courageousness it takes and the uh, the honesty to admit to yourself there's a bigger issue here. And if I don't solve this problem, all the band-aids in the world are not going to stop the bleeding. You're so, so right. And this is frustrating me to no end. Yeah. Because I know that you can spend an hour or two with Marlene, my colleague, and do a bottleneck analysis where she helps you think through the most fundamental irritating problem that you have right now that's costing you the most money and after one and a half or two hours you will be so relaxed and hopeful because you finally understand that under all these problems that you are battling there are one or two underlying bottlenecks and if you only find a way to solve that those one or two bottlenecks everything is going to turn out just fine However, you need to want to spend the time yeah. and the energy to have that discussion and to, to, to talk through the things, but it's much easier to spend six months running in circles, uh, looking for the next hack or the next, uh, bright, shiny object. That's more fun. I totally yeah. agree. It's much more fun. Yeah. It just doesn't work as well. It's because it kind of feels productive. It kind of feels like you're making some progress when you're probably not. What what I'm hearing in your so approach, now we're, uh, Brandon, now we're back yeah. to how we programmed our dopamine system. Ah, we programmed our dopamine system to understand that if we are if we are doing the superficial stuff, and we are spending the time on the superficial hustling, we get the dopamine reward system running. Ah, uh, got you. Okay. Well, it sounds like what I gather is in the process where you you help people is it's a customization approach. You know, what we've seen, I think, in the last how many years is you buy a system, you pick up a book and it, it explains a system of management, of operating, of how to do things. And we try to conform ourselves to it. And maybe maybe we get 50%, 80%, maybe more conformity, maybe 20%. And what I'm hearing, I think you're saying is, well, let's find out how you, who you are. Let's be as, as deeply yes. honest as we can be. Let's be excruciatingly honest about who you are, your, what you value, what's important to you, what you want to do, what you don't want to do. Yes. And then let's pick from this library of tools that match your temperament. Exactly. And I think that's a beautiful approach. And, and, Thank and, you. and a very timely approach where a lot of us are still trying to fit ourselves into, into molds that don't work for us. Um, as I, complex as human I beings. think you're totally right. And I feel that a ton of the tips and the ideas that, that we share can be used by everybody. Mm -hmm. And then my clients prove me wrong. So I have mm -hmm. a technique, it's called the binary emails. Don't know if you've heard about it, but the idea mm -hmm. is that my, my team members, they were sending me I don't know, 150 emails every single day. And I got so bored of it. I was so fed up with even answering these emails, but I love helping people. So they send me an email. Hey, Tom, we have this problem with the taxi van, the minivan that's uh, uh, driving between the um, train station and our training location. And once again, they didn't show up in time, blah, blah, blah. What should we do? I love helping people. I enjoy helping my own team members. Yeah. So they invite me to now spend my time on typing two or three or four paragraphs of text explaining to them how they can solve it, which completely um, negates the fact that I am paying them to solve my problems instead of <laughs> getting the, like allowing them to to get me to solve the problems, right? Yeah. So I told them, I don't want to see any more emails of you, except if I can answer it with yes or no. Oh. So now Ooh. it becomes binary, yes or no. Right. So, so rephrase the email. Hey, Tom, we got this problem. 
I thought of some solutions. I researched three other companies. We have option A, B, and C. And for whatever reason, I suggest that we go with option B. Is that okay? Question mark. And now I don't mind getting a ton of email because I can press alt air reply Y E S control enter and I'm done. Mm. What I didn't realize, this is like stupid in hindsight, but what I completely missed is the fact that I was actually forcing my team to become much more proactive, to mm -hmm. think in solutions instead of in problems. And then I allowed them to implement their own solutions that they came up with. So I'm training them to think, to take responsibility. My, my team became so much more professional in, in six months or so. It was like an entire, entirely different animal. I love it. So I share this with my 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 clients and uh, and with everybody who wants to to hear yeah. it. It's a fantastic technique. And one of my clients from London right now, he says, "Yeah, I don't feel that that's really um, that's the atmosphere, the culture that we have in our team." And so it turns out that his team in a new generation needs different approaches. And in the end, I'm the guy who says, you are you, you do you, but let's figure out who you are and who your team members are. And let's figure out the best ways to make the optimizations happen in a way that fits your profile and that fits their profile instead of just force feeding them my brilliant way that yeah. works for my team and me. I still think it's a brilliant technique, binary emails, but if it doesn't work for you, then we'll need to figure out something else. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying today's episode as much as I am. I love these types of heady conversations that uh, they start with why, they start with why do we do what we do and, and not accepting um, the way things have been and being able to question um, how we operate in this world in our lifetime. And so it's been really delightful to enjoy this. Um, I, well, the thing that hit me during this particular episode that is really coming out with Tom is that the power of story, everything is a story. Uh, how we relate to our work, how we operate within our businesses. It's all a story we tell ourselves, we tell our clients, and that story can always be evolving and changing. And I like the idea of getting unstuck from traditional stories and narratives that we have been accepting through our entire lives. And I think that's one of the most fun things about doing what we do is being able to draw out those stories and maybe asking the question, can this story be changed? Can the narrative be changed? So I wanna encourage you, if you haven't done any type of an exercise around your business, if you're if you're neck deep in being working in your business and perhaps not on it and perhaps not stepping back for a moment and getting some perspective on how your business is changing lives, the solutions you provide, then maybe it's time to do that. And I wanna encourage you to reach out to Bob and I through strategicstory.media or feedstories.com and book some time with us because what we have found is that every marketing campaign, every brand element comes from knowing your stories, knowing your core stories, knowing uh, who you are, why you're in this business, how you operate. Yeah, those stories are at the absolute foundation of every other piece of media and content you will create. It's important and it's important to discover those and identify those because once you do, content creation, marketing becomes so much easier. Reach out to us. Looking forward to, uh, to talking to you soon. Now let's get back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brendan Boyd. It reminds me of parenting. So if right. I can, uh, there's something, okay. There's something very lovely and rewarding. We all want to help. We all, we all, we all want to feel helpful. And that's, you could have easily continued and answered those emails and you're feeling helpful and I'm helping. Oh, yes. And, and that, and that's a good thing. There's, it's not a bad thing, but then there's the better, you know, and the better is, you know, an army of, of problem solvers who still want the perhaps validation or assurance from you. Like, Hey, are you good with this decision we are suggesting? And, and you welcome that. So my teenager, you know, my 17 year old, you know, I, I had to have an honest conversation with myself months ago. It's like, okay, 
Am I parenting in a way that is validating for me because I want to feel better as dad? Or am I creating an independent human being who can think for himself? And so it's like, okay, I need to back the heck off. I need to back off and ask him questions to get him to think instead of me trying to rush and solve stuff. And so I think there's, I, 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 it's hard because, you know, we're, we're good hearted. We want to help. Feels good to help. Right. It does. But it, long-term it doesn't help the, it's, the individuals. It makes people so cynical as well because uh, they all the time they have to ask for permission. Like if you have given oh. me five grade, um, uh, if you send me five binary emails with five great solutions to problems, I tell you, you know what, the next time something like this happens, you don't even have to consult me. It's your job now to make the decisions. Hmm. And th- there, there is so much, um, how do I phrase that? I feel that if you don't take your team members seriously as person, as people, as adults, then you make them cynical. And they may not even realize it themselves, but they pick up on the fact that you are not truly taking them seriously. Mm. Which means that if you see something that's almost uh, like it's going wrong, somebody on your team is doing something and you see that they are at the point of making this huge mistake, you should sit on your hands, let (laughs) them make the mistake and then invite them to correct the mistake and to make amends to everybody who was impacted by that mistake and that's the way that people learn and it's also the way that we learn right i i'm the one who makes the most mistakes in my team and the mistakes that i make are are the most costly mistakes as well uh this would be a good point we've been talking a lot about some of the stuff you do would you mind sharing like your website and some resources that you have available for people that um are good fits for this sure i um a blog on tomsharp.blog, B-L-O-G. And um, one of my, I try to share everything that I'm creating for our paying clients on the blog as well. So I have a ton of good stuff there and we are in the process of building that out. One of the blogs, thinking about your audience, is about how you can think through your marketing. If you want to grow your business, I take the same approach. Let's first figure out where is the current bottleneck instead of let's first figure out what's the next bright, shiny object. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a problem with your branding, you probably cannot solve that in your conversion. If you have a problem with traffic, it, it it's different, like it needs a different solution. But many entrepreneurs actually have a problem with their profile, which is the first step there as well. So I have a whole blog about that. And I'm um, sharing stuff on Twitter, Tom Sharp says, and um, building that out as we go to to share more and more tips and tricks and ideas. And if people want to reach out for our coaching, they can find me at, at tomsharp.blog as well. Awesome. So let, let's end this on a light note. You, we We didn't really quench our thirst for the idea of being a permanent traveler. So we oh, want right. you to share three of your favorite locations on the planet and and kind of like give us a blurb on each why it was a great place for you to be well i oh man three the first that comes to mind uh, is still maui and uh, i love maui because there's this northern american culture combined with the polynesian culture and vibe and i mean that does something to my mind i love that the fact that you can see the ocean from everywhere there are great resorts where i like my trick is to go sit in the lobby of a high-end hotel and just order a, a, a coffee or some lunch and at the end of the day i paid a hundred sometimes a little more dollars and spend the whole day in like this multi-million dollar facility and i enjoyed the service and everything maui is a great place for me to to be and to work i will um, be there in one month tom one oh and i will be revisiting maui enjoy it so much also when you step out of the airplane on the airport you you have the smell of the flowers right away i love that yeah i'm i don't know it does something for me love it all right maui maui two. is a great place i th- I feel that uh, Los Sueños in in Costa Rica has a similar uh, is a similar uh, place for me, like a great place to be, 
great weather, the ocean, um, very friendly people. And of course, I need to mention Bali. And um, the service in Bali is awesome. Um, these people are, they like if friendliness and, and, and being enjoying to serve people, they are on a whole different level. And my, my special trick for Bali and any other place where you go is to figure out what is the native language. Uh, and so in Bali, it's part of Indonesia, right? So they speak Bahasa Indonesia because the um, prime minister at the time figured that he needed to introduce a language that would connect all the people in Indonesia from all these different islands and have them converse in, in a similar language. However, the Balinese people themselves, they speak Balinese. So there's not a ton on the internet about the Balinese language, but if you figure like five or maybe 10 things to say in Balinese and you show oh. up to the buffet and there's this chef and he just prepared this wonderful meal for you that he's putting on your plate. And then you can say thank you in Balinese that their eyes light up, you have an instant connection. I mean, I love that. That's a neat trick to have in your pocket when you're a permanent traveler. Fantastic. Um, and I'm sure being a 6'6 Dutchman, you don't really blend in too well. You kind never. of stick out where you go. <laughs> never. I, I never blend in. <laughs> great. How, how long do you tend to stay in a place? Uh, right now, it's between two and four weeks. Okay. And uh, But I travel around within a location from uh, Airbnb to Airbnb, basically. Okay. So we, I'm in Orlando now for the last almost four weeks. I'll probably stay, hang around for another four weeks or so. Sorry. And then move to another place. So I am, when you take the Colby test, you have these four pillars. The third one is quick start. I am a two, three, 10, four. Oh. So I'm a 10 quick start. So I'm insanely optimistic. What other people call uh problems i call challenges i see like opportunities everywhere and i really enjoy the change of scene um which by the way ties into my mbti profile enfp and and this is what i was talking about like because i've done these tests i have the language to think about this and to validate me and my experience to understand oh i don't like to be in the same place for too long of a time i need this like the change of scene term came from an ENFP book that somebody wrote about being an ENFP. I pick up that term, I relate to it, and suddenly I have a language to describe and to validate and then to, yes. to, to move my life in a direction that works for me. When you understand who you are, how you're wired, yes. what your personality is, what your soul desires, and yes. you have validation it gives you permission to live in a very Absolutely. authentic way right if th this is this is something that i've discovered it took decades to figure yes. this out but this is a point where you experience like true humanity is when you can absolutely just be who you are and without without excuse without trying to validate to others it's to yourself to say this is who i am and this is how i'm going to live um, what a great way to live a life. And so I just want to applaud you for going down that path and inspiring others to do that. Because that, if, if Brandon and I could do one thing, um, it, it would be that to really just give people the wow. permission to live out from who they are. So thank so you. For if I may that. add to that, Bob, and thanks for the compliment and your enthusiasm, I totally relate to what you're saying. But to make it not sound selfish, I would add that um dealing with yourself in this very authentic way figuring out who you are and and what's the best way to live for you if you extend that to the other people around you the people in your family your children if you have them your your team members and even your clients now it suddenly is about inspiring everybody and helping everybody because as an entrepreneur as a team leader you can help other people to figure that out about themselves mm -hmm. and now you help them build their place in your team or outside of your team um to to become the best version of themselves too yeah the person who is doing my bookkeeping i want her 
to be fully herself, which is entirely different than than I am. Yeah. So this is like, I feel that if we are in this, we should teach this stuff in school, man. Mm. There's a lot of things that need to be taught in school. Which yeah. are, um, <laughs> Let's sure. not go there right now. No, no, right. we need another two or three hours on that. Yeah. So Tom, you've been really, really generous with your time. Um, again, it's just, we just appreciate talking to deep thinkers on this yeah. show and um, just a lot of great things that you touched on, things that Brandon and I find important, things that are important to you. And we just love talking with people that share common values and, and interests. So it's, well, it I love these conversation. conversations. Thanks so much for having me. And um, this was really fun for me as well. And I hope that uh, the listeners will have like one or two bits of inspiration, or maybe they should try a binary email or figure out their Colby profile or whatever. Just take one step and enjoy your work a, a lot more. Love it. Thanks, love it. Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd, a show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.